0: Good morning. Welcome one and all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is good to see you here today. Our call to worship this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verses 37 through 45. Jesus speaks, He says, Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give. And it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple, a student, is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the splinter that is in your eye, when you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your eye? Hypocrite! First take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the splinter in your brother's eye. A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes, or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good fruit. Out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. This is the word of the Lord. There was a fable told by the ancient Greeks about a traveler traveling at night. And he found himself caught in a fierce snowstorm. It was a blizzard, and he had lost his way. He was about to lose all hope when in the distance he saw a dim light, and he began making for it. As he drew near, he saw it was a house. As he got closer yet, he recognized it for what it was. It was the house of a demon. Typically, he would be fearful and would avoid such a place. But in his situation, he knew it was a matter of survival. And so he timidly approached the door. And he knocked. The door swung open and there stood the demon. The man begged for rescue from the storm. Half frozen to death, he begged to be taken into the demon's home where there was light, and where there was the warmth of a fire. The demon welcomed him in, and the man came over to the fire, and he huddled there trying to get warm. And as he huddled there, his hands couldn't even feel them. He blew on them. The demon looked at him strangely. He said, what are you doing? Why are you... Blowing on your hands. The man said, I'm trying to warm them up. The demon offered him something to eat. There was a pot of stew cooking on the fire. The demon put some in a bowl and offered it to the man. He took that that pot of, of stew and he took the spoon and held it up to its lips. Oh, that's hot. And so instinctively, the man blew on the spoon and the food that it contained cooling it off before he put it in his mouth. The demon watched him do this for, for several moments, and, and then he inquired, what are you doing? The man said, well, I'm blowing on it to, to cool it off. It's too hot. With that, the demon grabbed the man, took him to the door, thrust him back out into the cold and the dark, and he said, not even I will dwell with a man who blows hot and cold from the same mouth. The demon was alarmed at what he perceived to be the inc- inconsistency of a man who could blow both hot and cold out of the same mouth. Now talking about inconsistencies, we see what's going on in another part of the world in Afghanistan, but there was another place where the United States went to war. Does anyone remember the American invasion of Iraq in 2003? At the time, it was alleged that there were weapons of mass destruction being developed by the Iraqi government. But despite the insistence of the Bush administration that such a weapons program existed, no evidence for it was ever found. Yet at the time, the allegation alone was enough, enough provocation and justification for the United States Congress to declare war on that country. It was a war that resulted in the deaths of 500,000, over 500,000 Iraqi citizens, as well as many lives of U.S. and coalition forces. Lives that were lost because of a willingness to wage war despite a glaring inconsistency. What was that inconsistency? That weapons of mass destruction existed despite no evidence for such being found. Kind of makes one wonder, what was the real weapon of mass destruction in regards to that war? If no weapons of mass destruction were found, and yet 500,000 people lost their lives, what was the real weapon of mass destruction, if not the tongues that insistently alleged the presence of something that actually wasn't there. Today we're going to look at that very small yet powerful weapon of mass destruction, our tongues. How many of you have ever said something that you instantly regretted and desperately wished you could take back? All of us, right? How many of us Have at one time or another said something that, if we're being honest, simply wasn't consistent with the faith in Jesus that we profess to have. It simply didn't fit. Guilty. I know. We probably don't like to think long and hard about our many failures in matters regarding our terrible little tongues. Nevertheless, this is the most important indicator of where we are at in our lives spiritually. Turning your Bibles to James chapter 3, James is going to address our terrible little tongues. James chapter 3, Not many, he says, not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness is placed among our members. It stains the whole body. It sets the course of life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, fish, is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters? Or a grapevine produce figs? Well, neither can a salt water spring yield fresh water. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is Planted in peace by those who cultivate peace. This is the word of the Lord. The teachers of the ancient world that James refers to were men who led their students by the example of their personal lives they modeled a certain manner of living and expected that their students would follow them by developing and inculcating, making their own, the same character traits which were observable in their masters, in their teachers. What they did and how they did it was at least as important as what was said. Jesus says that the one who is fully trained will be like his teacher, Luke 6, verse 40. In these early years of the Christian faith, when most did not have their own personal copies of the Old Testament scriptures, let alone the writings of the apostles, the role that teachers played in the body of Christ cannot be underestimated. The Christian teachers were those who molded and shaped the understandings and the characters of those who were growing in their faith in Jesus and trying to learn what Jesus had taught about faith in God and living a life that's pleasing to him. To be a teacher in the early church was to have a tremendous responsibility for the spiritual development of others. It's no wonder that many enthusiastic believers would desire to attain to this level of service in the body of Christ. And yet, strangely, James tells us at the very beginning of chapter 3 don't do that. James discourages believers from becoming teachers. He frankly states that not many should become teachers. And he provides two reasons why this is. And in doing so, he throws open the door to his third and final point regarding true religion. And that's the series that we're in. We're talking about what is true religion. And this is part four in the series. James has defined true religion for us as being characterized by three things. First, controlling our speech. Second, showing merciful generosity toward those in dire need. And thirdly, displaying generous attitudes toward others. Attitudes that have not been shaped or stained by the world system that teaches us that we should take care of number one and seek power, position, money, influence. No, don't be stained by that. Display a generous attitude towards others. James began by talking about the last of these when he addressed the sin of favoritism in the body of Christ. And next, he addressed the error of separating faith and works in how we live our lives, caring for the weakest and the poorest among us. Finally this week, James will address the first item on his true religion countdown, controlling our speech, our tongues, He's already told us back in verse 26 of chapter 1, if anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Controlling our tongues becomes the final measure. The final measure of mastery in living a consistent Christian life. It's the final measure because it's the hardest one of all. It's not easily done. Indeed, if one has not mastered his or her tongue, why should that person think that they should exert the mastery of spiritual authority as a teacher in Christ's church? The bar is indeed set very high. And I fear that all of us find ourselves at times failing to measure up to that standard. James provides two reasons why many should not become teachers. Number one, he says teachers will receive a stricter judgment. Did you ever think about that? The responsibility that a teacher has in shaping your understanding of God's word and his will for your life, that awesome responsibility makes the teacher all the more accountable for his words and his actions. Teachers of God's word don't get an easier pass when they stand before the judge of all flesh. Teachers are held to a higher standard. Would you like to be judged more strictly? It's a sobering responsibility that comes with having such influence over the souls of other men and women. James provides a second reason why not many should become teachers. The influence over a te- of a teacher over the body of Christ is... Like the tongue to the human body, it's disproportionately large. Because teachers have such an influence upon those who are led by them, it's a responsibility that should be reserved for the few that have demonstrated mastery over all matters of life, including mastery over that one tiny organ that possesses such power in the work of teaching others, the tongue. And so James is talking about teachers and he uses it as an occasion to teach us about our tongues. James invites us to consider the mighty power of the tongue. Don't be deceived, he says, by its diminutive size. Oh, it might be small, but what power it wields. As an example, even large beasts, he says, can be turned by a small Bit placed in their mouths. Massive ships are steered through fierce winds and roaring waves by means of a small rudder. Even the largest wildfires, of which many in our country at this present time know something of, even the largest raging wildfires, they get their start by a tiny little spark. So is the tongue. Like a boxer who punches far above his weight. The tongue, though tiny, wields unfathomable power. James says that it stains the body. It sets the course of life on fire and is itself set on fire of hell. I want to examine three phrases here that James speaks of. He says it stains the whole body whether we're talking about the body of Christ as it is influenced by a teacher or whether we're talking about an individual person as he or she is influenced influenced by the words that pour forth from his or her own mouth James's point is clear our words color our lives our character our beliefs our conduct our personality will be colored will be stained by the kind of speech that we practice, like a dye that permeates every fiber of the cloth. Our words will permeate and color every bit of who we are. We will be shaped by our own words. Who we are shapes our words, and then the words that we speak, in turn, shape who we are. And it just keeps chasing itself round and round, James says that it sets the course of life on fire. The word course here refers to the track or rut in the road that your wheel will naturally follow. Our words cut grooves into the roads of our hearts and our lives will naturally follow the tracks that our words have laid down. Like the needle on the record player that follows that groove around that spinning black disc You have to be a certain age to know what I'm talking about here. Like that needle that follows the groove on the record. Our lives will follow the groove that has been laid down by the words that we have spoken. If our words are inflammatory words, we will find that we are always on fire and not in a good way. Haven't you ever noticed how you can keep a pretty good lid on your anger until at last you let some angry words fly out? And once you've done that, it's like the whole lid comes off, and then the anger just builds and it flows. The anger actually increases with the more that you give vent to angry words. What a raging inferno is made from a few tiny sparks. Our words map out the course that our life will follow. James says, and is itself set on fire by hell. Where does this fire come from? James doesn't let us guess at it. The tongue's power to scorch comes from hell, he says. This word translated in our English Bibles as hell, it's a word that was used by the Jews at that time to refer to a valley outside of the city of Jerusalem, a valley that was called Gehenna. It was a place that in ancient times had been the site of a number of horrific, idolatrous atrocities committed by apostate Jews. These Jews at that time had been worshiping an idol and they had been sacrificing their own infant children to this demon God. Because of their evil and their unwillingness to repent, the Lord had sworn to judge them. He said he was going to fill that valley where they were murdering their own children. He was going to fill it with their own dead bodies by bringing a powerful nation against them who would subjugate them, take them captive, and fill the land with corpses because of their evil ways and their unwillingness to repent. When this was ultimately fulfilled, when God brought Babylon against the nation of Judah, that valley was filled with the carcasses of those who had murdered their own children. Years later, when Jews returned to the land under God's blessing, they looked at this place, this valley called Gehenna, and they looked at it as a horrible place, a place that had been stained, tainted, ruined by the horrible things that had taken place there. It wasn't good for anything other than being a trash dump. And so at the time that James lived, you could see the fires at this trash dump burning continually day and night. Jesus used this trash dump as a powerful picture for what it means to be separated from the light and life of the living God, a place of torment, a place where dead carcasses rot and decay, where worms and maggots never end, where there's fire, where there's filth and refuse, a dump, not a pleasant place and a constant reminder of sin and judgment. James says, in effect, you want to know what fuels the fires that our tongues ignite? Gehenna. The trash dump that is filled with rottenness and decay. This is what is fueling the fires of our tongues, James says. And it agrees perfectly with what Jesus taught. Out of the overflow of the heart... The mouth speaks. You want to know what's in a heart? Look at what comes out of the mouth. That's what's inside. Where does the fire come from? It comes from the trash dump of our hearts. It comes from Gehenna, a place where there's rottenness, decay, darkness, and death. Our hearts are. Our mouths start these fires because that fire is already in our heart. Jesus taught us a good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart, an evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. The mouth speaks. From the overflow of the heart. Want to know what's actually within? Listen to the words. The words will tell you. What's a tree like? Examine the fruit and you'll know the root. Listen to the words. They will reveal what's in the heart. And James advises us against negotiating with it. Can't this mighty little beast, the tongue, perhaps be tamed? We want to know. Can't we put a bridle on it and rein it in somehow? Mankind, after all, has tamed all kinds of beasts. But James says this little one refuses to yield. James calls it a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And restlessness is a proper way to describe our tongue. It simply won't be still. It's always looking for that next opportunity, and it takes advantage of it. And we speak words that we wouldn't want to say before we even know what we're doing sometimes. It's interesting too that restlessness is a quality that's associated with the devil and with the unclean spirits. And it's in contrast to the quality of stillness, calmness, tranquility, and calm assurance that's associated with God and his children. And what an actor upon the stage that mighty little tongue is too, James says, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and then in the next moment we're cursing men and women who are created in his image. What an actor that little tongue is, blessing and cursing, flowing freely out of the same mouth. Such an inconsistency certainly should not be. The presence of rotten speech will lead us to conclude that whatever gracious words we might speak otherwise are merely a hypocrisy, an act to cover up what truly lies within. You cannot get bitter water and sweet water from the same spring, James says. Do not think that the tongue can be tamed or bargained with. There is no negotiating with it. It is unruly and unyielding and will always eventually betray the contents of the heart. If you're like me, you might be wincing inside just a little bit. Ouch. Maybe even in this last week, You can think of words that were spoken that did not line up with the faith that you profess. We probably all can. What are we to do? James has brought us to a point of despair, it would seem. Your tongues show who you really are, and you can't control it. What do we do? James has actually brought us right where he wants us. He will point us to the only answer that will ultimately suffice. He speaks about divine wisdom, wisdom from above. Wisdom from above that he spoke of in chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. He said there, if any of you lack wisdom, ask of God. He gives it simply and freely to all who ask. Just don't be double-minded about it. Don't be trying to live this way and live that way. No, seek the Lord, focus on him, and sincerely ask for wisdom from him. You may remember that in James's vocabulary, in his way of speaking, wisdom from above is the same thing as being filled with the Spirit, walking in step with the Spirit, is in Paul's vocabulary. These two apostles of our Lord are talking about the same thing. Paul calls it being filled with God's spirit and walking in step with the spirit. James calls it wisdom from above, divine wisdom. They're talking about the same thing. Both of us are pointing us, both of them are pointing us to the spirit of Christ as the only solution that will suffice to our great big little tongue problem which is, in reality, our heart problem. James is directing us to be filled with and to walk in step with the Holy Spirit if we would be masters of our tongues. It's about living a life that is yielded to Christ's Spirit, moment by moment. And James, if you'll recall, in this passage early in chapter 3, he says, in many things we stumble and we will, But the big picture is about being yielded to the Lordship of Christ, yielding our obedience to him and walking in step with his spirit. Allow the teacher, Christ, and his spirit to lay down fresh tracks upon the road of your heart to make a new groove in the record of your life so that the course of your life will be directed in a new way. Circling back around to where James began today, why would many desire to become teachers having authority over the direction and spiritual development of others in the body of Christ? We actually find the answer to that question in this section, verses 14 through 16. James says, if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. That kind of wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. James highlights for us bitter envy and selfish ambition. These are unfortunately the driving motivations that cause unspiritual men and women to aspire to positions of influence and authority in the body of Christ. Did you ever wonder why there's so many crooked politicians? I'm not saying that they all are, there's good ones too. But why are there so many crooked ones? Well, it's because people whose hearts are filled with bitter envy and selfish ambition, they desire the levers of power and influence. And James is saying that it was no different in the church of Christ. There were people who should not hold the reins of influence in the church who nonetheless were aspiring to it because of the bitter envy and selfish ambition that they had in their hearts. And James says that's a different type of wisdom than the wisdom that we need to be transformed by Christ and his spirit. James describes that kind of wisdom as earthly, unspiritual, demonic, Characterized by disorder and every evil practice. Such a person lacks godly wisdom from above. Godly wisdom which is characterized by good conduct and gentleness. And here's the the last big point that I want to try to touch on. This word gentleness is maybe even better translated as meekness. What is meekness? Meekness is the opposite of aggressiveness and defensiveness. You yeah, there's two prongs on that. Defensiveness and aggressiveness. Meekness is the opposite of that. The meek man or woman is gentle toward others, does not aggressively threaten. Neither does he or she feel the need to act and react defensively toward others. Even when he or she is maligned, or wronged. You don't feel the need to get defensive. Think about Moses meekly refusing to defend himself against two challengers for his authority in Numbers chapter 12. Numbers 12 verse 3 says, Moses was a very humble man, more so than anyone on the face of the earth, and he didn't speak up to defend himself. The Lord spoke for him. Think about Jesus as he stood accused before the Jewish Sanhedrin and before Pilate, yet he opened not his mouth to defend himself. He displayed a meekness that was born out of a firm, unwavering confidence in his Father, the living God. Think about the apostles as they stood before the Jewish authorities. They meekly asserted their confidence in their Lord and in his will. Their adversaries noted that these men had been with Jesus. It was evident by their conduct and their bold yet gentle spirit that they had been taught and influenced by the Lord Jesus. He was their teacher. Meekness, gentleness. That's the fruit to look for when we would determine spiritual maturity in the life of a believer. James says, who among you is wise and understanding? In other words, who among you is filled with the Spirit and is walking in step with him? You will know that man or that woman by the evidence of good conduct and gentleness, meekness. You will know that they have spent time learning from Jesus. Just as faith is demonstrated by works, we learned that last week, so too wisdom Being spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-controlled is demonstrated by good conduct and gentleness, meekness. Believers who have not developed this in their lives will produce disorder and evil practices. Believers who have will produce practices that fulfill the royal law. Remember what that is? Love your neighbor as yourself the royal law. These believers will promote unity among the body of Christ and their words will bear witness to it. Gentle words, meek words. Here's the big idea to take away today. Cooperate with God's grace by developing a character of gentle, meek obedience that is led by the spirit of Christ. God's grace is at work in your life. Cooperate with it. Develop a character that is gentle and meek and demonstrate that with your speech, your words. Allow Christ Jesus to be your teacher and model your life on him. And as selfish ambition and bitter envy, aggressiveness, defensiveness, as these things are replaced by the healing gentleness of the Spirit of Christ. Your tongues, you will find, they will become instruments of righteousness instead of weapons of mass destruction. You will find that you have a consistency in your faith and your conduct that is unimpeachable. It will be pleasing to our Lord and Father. Let us pray. Father, we admit that it is hard to hear this kind of challenge from your word. We go along and we feel like we're doing pretty well, but yet you bring us back to the examination of the heart as evidenced by our conduct, yes, and also our words, and we're confronted by that mighty little weapon of mass destruction, that so often bears witness to the inconsistency and the dividedness in our hearts in who we are and claim to be. Because with these same mouths, we bless and praise you, God our Father, and yet we curse those who are made in your image. And these things ought not to be. Father, we pray that you would do a transformation formative work in our hearts, that we with simple, single-minded devotion would seek to be taught by the teacher who is himself, meek and gentle, that we would be like him, that we would lay aside bitterness, selfish ambition and envy, that we would not be aggressive, in our own agendas, that we would not be defensive and put up our guards, which are often knives when we feel threatened, but that we would trust you as the one who cares for our souls, who cares for our destinies, our eternities. Cut a new groove in the record of our life, Holy Spirit, lay down fresh tracks that will set a new course for our lives. Clean out the corners of rottenness and decay that fuel the fires of our tongues. And may words of life and health and healing pour out of the springs of our heart. In the name of Christ, our Lord, we ask. Amen. Hello and welcome to the Memory Chapel podcast. Memory Chapel is a small, rural, non-denominational Christian church located on Vanceville Road in 84 Pennsylvania. On this podcast, we feature an edited version of our Sunday morning worship service at the chapel and the Bible teaching of Pastor David All. Thanks for joining us. And now... Let's get to the worship. Thank you for having tuned in with us today. We hope you found the time in worship and the Word to be encouraging, challenging, and strengthening. If so, we'd love to hear from you. We realize there are so many ways you could spend your time We're glad you chose to spend it with us in worship and the Word. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all today, this week, and forever.